Hello, and welcome to this Evidence-Based Nursing Podcast. I'm Roberta Heal. I'm an Associate Editor of Evidence-Based Nursing, and it's my great pleasure to welcome Dr. Bernice Redley, who is affiliated with Deakin University in Australia. We'll be discussing a study titled Medication Communication During Handover Interactions in Specialty Practice Settings. Welcome, Dr. Redley. Would you please begin by introducing yourself and your current role to our listeners? Thank you for the opportunity to speak. I am an associate professor in the School of Nursing and Midwifery at Deakin University, and my current role is in a clinical partnership position with Monash Health, which is one of the largest uh, health services in Victoria in Australia. Excellent. Thank you for that. Would you start by giving some background about the issues raised with respect to nursing handovers or medication information communication between nurses and clinical practice? So clinical handover is probably the most uh, frequent uh, clinical communication that happens in health services and in particular nursing change of shift or nurses nursing handover is identified as a, a particular patient I suppose a risk for patient safety. Uh, medication information is often conveyed at clinical handover and then again medication safety is a quite a significant problem in terms of patient safety. Uh, the other issues around handover is, is that it's not just about communication about medication safety but also around patient risk and other factors that actually impact patient safety. And the research shows us that up to 80% of uh, sentinel events may have one element of uh, communication involved in the root cause analysis. So clinical communication that occurs at patient handover is actually a very important uh, patient safety consideration. What did the researchers investigate in this study? So in this study, the researchers investigated the what and how of medication communication during uh, clinical handover. They undertook a, a reasonably substantive qualitative observational study where they looked at handovers that occurred in four specialty areas and each of those specialty areas have uh, vulnerable patients, high risk, quite complex where you would expect that there would be a high level of uh, medication communication to occur at handovers. They undertook about 130 hours of observation of 185 handovers involving 37 nurses. So they undertook a reasonably comprehensive study and I suppose a great strength of the study was that uh, handover is in that handover is a very complex clinical phenomenon that involves a lot of activities. By using observation, they were actually able to capture multiple dimensions of uh, what occurred during those handover events. What conclusions were made by the authors of the original paper? So the, the authors identified two key themes. One was about the scope of medication communication during handover, and they identified that that uh, the information that was communicated often had uh, lots of gaps in it. So there was often no discussion or questions or confirmation of important information about medication safety, uh, the receiving nurse or person receiving the handover often didn't uh, confirm or ask questions, that there was often uh, a lack of structure in the way that the handover uh, medications were communicated at handover. Patient and family involvement uh, was often missing and uh, that's been identified as offering quite a number of benefits in terms of 
uh, improving the quality of handover communication and that the, there are a number of gaps, particularly around medication effectiveness, uh, that were actually identified in, in the communication of, of medications. Do you agree with their conclusions? And if not, why? In the large, I agree with their, their conclusions. Uh, one of the important considerations, though, for these conclusions is that they really only focused on the medication communication that occurred during hand, handover. And handover is much more than, medi than uh, medication communication. There are a number of uh, other important aspects around patient care that need to be communicated during handover. And well, I suppose that the difficulty with their conclusions is that it doesn't put the medication communication in context of uh, the broader role of communication around ongoing patient care that's actually required in a clinical handover. And this occurs within the context of, you know, limited time and resources. Uh, there's sort of a number of environmental factors that also impact on uh, communication effectiveness. And these things were largely uh, unaddressed. So while they've identified these key gaps in medication communication, they haven't really put those into the, the broader context of clinical handover, which is also about communication of things such as uh, patient preferences around their care, around risks such as uh, falls, uh, pressure injury, pain management, uh, identification of uh, risk for clinical deterioration, for example, are all uh, and, and what's required for ongoing care, uh, apart from medication management, uh, often have been sort of neglected in the way that uh, the findings of this study have been conveyed. Interesting. So what are the implications for the practice um, related to these findings? So the implications for practice uh, really emphasise the need for standardised processes around handover communication that these standardised processes need to focus uh, not just on the content of handover, uh, which was a, a predominant focus of this study, but also look at, um, and when I talk about content, I talk about the verbal content as well as the non-verbal content. Uh, we know that a lot of uh, what is said is, is lost and the best way to enhance the effectiveness of communication during handover is to make sure that there are multiple ways of communicating information and, and that the verbal communication is actually reinforced by other means, for example, through uh, visual checking of the charts or, or visual um, checking of the patient and, and other interactions. And that really then raises the importance about thinking about the processes that are actually used for communication during handover and uh, ways that by standardising processes can create that shared understanding and shared situational awareness and expectations of handover that in turn can then help to manage a number of the environmental factors that were actually identified in this study but also in other handover research, for example, the impact of interruptions and distractions on the effectiveness of handover communication and the ability of uh, the person who's receiving the handover to identify when there's, there's gaps in the information and actually uh, take responsibility around ensuring that they have all the information that they require to provide ongoing care for the patient, which is really at the crux of uh, clinical communication during handover. 
I think that uh, another impl implication here is about how do we help nurses to prioritise uh, information that's actually communicated both verbally and non-verbally during handover communication so that we have uh, the effectiveness but it's also the efficiency of time when often there's a number of constraints and a number of pressures on nurses when they're actually uh, undertaking handover. Another implication here, and um, which was, I suppose, the strength of this study, was that they did identify some of the environmental factors that impacted on handover, and, and particularly some of those human factors around, uh, you know, the interactions that people have, uh, things such as eye contact, you know, focusing the checking of the the care documents as part of the process, and also, you know, making sure that we call for example, uh, safety checklists as part of that process. You've identified a few areas where research could be implemented. What further research is needed in this area? I, I think that the focus of research to date has really been on the verbal communication and on the, the sender in terms of the person giving the handover. I think that we need to start thinking about how we ensure that the person who's receiving the handover has everything that they need for ongoing care and that they actually take responsibility for that. So if, if for example, there are gaps in information that the person that's receiving the handover is well prepared to be able to identify those and ensure that those gaps are filled before um, that, that complete transfer of care has, has been achieved. And then in that, that raises another area of uh, research, which is really about the delegation processes that we use to transfer care and, and how and when that occurs and ensuring that, you know, it is clear and, and quite explicit when, when that delegation process, particularly for the transfer of responsibility and or accountability for ongoing care occurs and that the person that's receiving that responsibility and accountability is aware of what that entails in terms of their professional responsibilities. Um, a third area of uh, research which is, I think is, is important is that uh, although a lot of the research has been focusing on uh, errors in handovers and gaps and where, they, where a patient's safety risks are actually inherent in the handover process, we also need to remember that handover is actually uh, a really important opportunity for building resilience in healthcare. Uh, we have a unique opportunity where there are two clinicians present uh, where, you know, we can actually incorporate uh, strategies and processes such as cross-checking of information, verification of care records, uh, problem solving where, you know, the interactions can actually be instrumental in resolving uh, where there may be a problem in terms of decision-making around ongoing care and that we should actually start to explore how we can actually use handover to build resilience and uh, that will actually mitigate uh, errors in, hand in handover practice. If listeners take away one thing from this podcast, what do you think it should be? It should be that clinical handover is more than just a conversation. It's a, it's a two-way process and it is really about uh, ensuring that the person who is receiving the handover has everything that they need to provide high quality and safe ongoing care and that the, that we should really be shifting the emphasis to make sure that people realise that responsibility that they're taking on when they actually receive handover in clinical practice. 
I'd like to take the opportunity to thank Dr. Bernice Redley for this insightful and valuable discussion. Thank you, Dr. Redley. Uh, Thank you very much.